HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, February 28th, 2018. This is the 168th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are the family duo behind one of the most beloved coffee shops in New York City and beyond, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to give yourself the right to take a break. Yes, it's okay to take time off and have some R&R. And actually, it's important. When we relax and step away from our day-to-day work, it gives us time to refresh, recharge, and prepare for what's to come. And in the long run, it enables us to be more productive. So don't hesitate to plan a vacation, staycation, or hibernation when you need it, as it's good for rejuvenation. That's my tip today. Now, I'm thrilled to have two guests here with me in the studio. They are the brother and sister team of Joe Coffee, a family-owned coffee roasting company with locations in Manhattan and Philadelphia. First is Jonathan Rubenstein, the founder and president of Joe Coffee. And next is Gabrielle Rubenstein-Chong, the vice president and director of catering and customer, customer relations of Joe Coffee. Joe was founded in 2003 as a singular specialty coffee house in Manhattan's West Village with the simple vision of brewing the highest quality, unique coffees and serving them with unsurpassed hospitality and knowledge. Welcome to the studio. Hi, guys. Hi, so thanks to be for having here. us. So, so happy to have you both here. I, um, I, I, there's so much more to talk about Joe Coffee uh, versus my little introduction here, which is why you're here. But I've always been such a fan of of your company. So, I want to know how how it started. Like, how'd you get into coffee? Ah, uh, so it's a funny story. Um, neither my sister and I had anything to do with coffee except that we were consumers and we loved it. I was in a completely different business. I was a talent agent for actors. Oh, wow. And I was an opera singer. Uh, so studied only music. That's amazing. So neither of us have a background really in hospitality. I never took business 101. I don't think you did either. Um, I had left my field and I wanted to do the opposite of what you hear about sort of the high-powered shark world of uh, of media and agenting. And 
I had a list of things that sounded romantic and fun and it was baking bread or it was sort of the list that I feel like everybody has who finds themselves in that position, baking bread or a yoga studio or a coffee shop. And for me, I noticed um, a hole in uh, what was being done or wasn't being done in New York City. And, you know, we are and were then almost 15 years ago in the city that had the greatest restaurant scene and sort of had everything that you could want um, to find in any sort of retail or food establishment, but nobody was really doing coffee well, which is, it's hard to go back in time 15 years now and realize how different the landscape of coffee was in New York. Right now, we're in a very exciting coffee city and there are, I could probably name 50, 75 different coffee companies or chains or single shops that are of quality, but back then there were none, literally none, Starbucks and diner coffee. And so it was something that sounded exciting, but also in this city that has everything, here was this little niche that I was hearing about from other cities, but did not happen in New York at all. And that was sort of what sparked the idea. But going along those lines, if I can sort of transfer this to Gab, she was singing and not necessarily looking for another career then, but had discovered. um, Um, I mean, for real, I, I was singing opera, but you always need a day job. So when I got a call, when I was in Utah as a young artist there, and John called and said, guess what, I'm going to open a coffee shop. I said, oh my God, thank God, because I have to come back to New York and I need a job. And I've always wanted to work in a coffee shop. Now we say a coffee bar or something like that. But um, I had, are we going on to the... I sh- Sure, I don't know. I didn't mean to grab this interview, but no, the backstory of it's sort your of... your interview. We, <laughs> we did it. We didn't know coffee, but it was no. really Gab who brought... right. The I was idea definitely the obsessed with coffee. Yeah, I knew nothing about, I'd never heard of third wave coffee. But, you know, mm-hmm. even in Utah, when I was traveling in a van around the state um, as a young artist, I would literally bring my Mr. Coffee machine and my freshly ground, already ground beans. I mean, I'm horrified now, but I would take them in the van and travel around the state because I, I had to have my great coffee. So it was kind of perfect that we were opening a coffee bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So neither of us had a knowledge, but... We knew we were interested and we had heard about it happening elsewhere. And another family joke is that when you say family business, it was it was a family business until our, this recent investment, which I think we'll probably talk about. But it was not just myself and my sister, but also our parents who are our partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad raised the money for the first few stores. And my mother, who's now uh, 78 years old, was a barista 15 years ago when we first opened our store. But the family joke was that we would spend our day Saturday and Sunday traveling around New York City just trying to find a drinkable latte and we would take a sip and it would be vile and we would throw it away and we'd go to the next place and finally it was my mom's joke of like instead of pouring hundreds of dollars a week out trying to find decent coffee let's just do it ourselves and you know, we didn't even know what that was because I had never tasted great coffee but I knew it existed and they were doing it in California San Francisco and Chicago and Portland and certainly Seattle which was really the innovator uh, and the birthplace of Starbucks. But um, we sort of said, here's an interesting new business idea because, again, no one's doing it. And what has not been done in New York? Nothing. Right. So how did you then, I mean, it's it's amazing. So you took this leap into doing this. How did you find your lo- location in the West Village? <laughs> well, at the time in 2003, the real estate market was also very different than it is yeah. now. And what I remember at the time, and this may be an exaggeration, but in my memory, there were two available retail locations that were affordable mm-hmm. in Manhattan. The one on Waverly Place where we opened our first store and something on 79th Street off of 3rd Avenue. And those were the only two that we could mm. potentially afford. So we put offers in on both of them. And I always think, boy, would we be in a different business, I think, if we had taken the 79th and 3rd yeah. as opposed to the classic West Village. Mm. But that first location, which will turn 15 in July, um, is still the... We've never recaptured the magic of that first location. It's on Waverly Place, which is this historic street and it's on a corner and it has brick walls and it has a patio and it's just it was just one of those happy accidents that I stumbled upon the space that was for rent that we could afford and I put in an offer and two days later the broker said congratulations it's yours where do we send the lease and I'm not even sure again looking back if mm-hmm. we were ready but I thought we right. can't pass this opportunity up and we signed a lease and it was a happy accident and the rest is yes. sort of history in opening that first store and then 
between the time that we signed this lease, probably in March, I'm guessing 15 years ago this month, next month. And when we opened in July, it was learn how to run a business, learn how to make coffee. Right. I mean, it was learn mm-hmm. how to build out a store. It was... How did you find your architect? Um, how did we find our architect? The Yellow Pages. The Yellow Pages. We opened <laughs> the actual <laughs> Yellow Pages and looked under architects and circled yeah. five names and interviewed all right. of them. That's exactly it. I actually forgot that's great. It um, is great. And you know how we found our coffee, which I was bringing back to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had sung at Tanglewood one summer um, many years ago, like in 1996. Uh-huh. And there was one coffee house in Lenox, Mass, called like Lenox, Lenox coffee. coffee. And it was literally the best coffee I'd ever had in my life. So all those years later, I remembered it so fondly. And so I said, John, you know, you have to go down to you know, Lenox and try this coffee in Barrington Coffee Company. They have amazing coffee. So he went down there. I was still in Utah at the time, went right. down there and met the two guys who own it. And mm-hmm. they just really connected. And they were the, they made latte art. And we couldn't believe it. And it was amazing. Yeah. And yeah. they became our first roasters and sort of our mentors yeah. for I the first probably five or six years of our business. And they were probably the closest, you know, high quality art, artisanal roaster around yeah, yeah at the time yeah again i mean you're yeah. looking at a time that was that really lucky i don't think i had heard the name stumptown blue bottle no. intelligentsia all those you know again now someone opens a shop in new york city and mm-hmm. you're going to sit down you're going to meet with probably us and 10 other high quality roasters who are hyper local mm-hmm. nothing massachusetts was like was considered local at the time mm-hmm. um, yeah and that's how it happened we opened our we doors with that. we didn't know what we were doing it was um, all um, instinct yes. and passion, yeah. you know, and then just the going back to, we're going to do it well. We're never going to, you know, skimp on quality. Right. We're always going to be hospitable. And I think it's just those kind of things just kind of keep coming back to that. Yeah. No, it's worked. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking, I think back, I moved to New York in 98, uh, mm. but I remember... I mean that yeah you said it it's magical the first mm-hmm. that there's something about that location that just it's so new york it's yeah. so like where mm-hmm. you want to get coffee and hang out and yeah. and it, there's something really special about it and um yeah you followed your instinct to do it so what then i mean we talk about, talk about well, with your with your coffee, your sourcing, where 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 do you get it from? Well, so that's all changed over the years. Yeah. Um, I think people often ask us if we did one thing, if we could go back and do one thing different, what would it be? For us, we probably would have started roasting earlier. It took us probably nine years into the business while we were buying other people's coffee, and it was coming shipped from another state. It was Barrington, and then it was a tiny little roastery out of Santa Rosa, California, which was then bought by Intelligentsia. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we were an Intelligentsia customer before we roasted. But now a major part of our business isn't just the retailing, the experience of coming in and buying coffee or latte prepared, but now it's the sourcing and the roasting. And we have a whole team and a roastery and Red Hook Mm and a guy who travels the world in this sort of uh, very romantic, like he's going through the jungles and, you know, watching the coffee grow. And that all happens. Mm -hmm. And that is... A, a lot of our energy and a very big part of what we do also from a business perspective that now allows us to sell to other places and gives us a very different business line, which mm-hmm. to be honest, we need because we're in a very crowded marketplace now. New York City doesn't necessarily need more locations of right. coffee shops or Joe. I mean, we have... Uh, How many gosh. do you have now? We have 19... All together, we look at each other because we forget. We have 19, two of them are in Philadelphia, and one is private. So I guess we have 16 public locations in uh, New York City. Oh, when you mean private, it's like a part of a... It's in okay. it's so BCG, it's which is okay. a, an office. Yeah. And they built it into their new office as a perk for their... Yeah. Uh, their it's people actually work there, great. so they That's don't cool. leave looking for coffee. They stay Got and they work it. harder. And, oh. yeah, so it's a it's full cool. job just for the 650 employees that are, who are there. Lucky them. I know. <laughs> I mean, my husband happens to work there, so uh, yeah, uh, he's lucky. Well, he's very lucky. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the Red Hook location I saw opened in 2013 is when, um, and and then you also your your sourcing or your 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 wholesale business mm-hmm. is. Tell me a bit about that. Where Well, and- it was a natural progression. And when we looked at the field of what our um, contemporaries are doing, a lot of their business comes from selling coffee to other coffee shops and hotels and restaurants and grocery stores. And it was sort of like if we can bring what we're doing to more people, 
why not? Um, why not? And we happened to be lucky to have a guy named Ed Kaufman who uh, had run the coffee program at Cafe Grumpy and had actually been the guy who had started Stumptown's Roastery when they came to New York, come to us at one point and say, I'd love to join you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to open a roastery. And for us, it was like, we've got the guy. We've wanted to do it. It was a daunting process to think about how do mm-hmm. you start buying from all over the world. I think we, we last year we bought mm-hmm. from 35 different farms in 12 countries, which is a lot of ground and a very complex system. And how do you set up mm-hmm. this roastery and make the coffee taste amazing by turning it brown? And then how do you distribute it? But when we had this guy, it was like, this is the perfect opportunity mm-hmm. to launch. And so we did. First, we launched the roastery. We waited one year and then we decided to start this wholesale business, which is now just about three years old. Okay. Wow, you have a lot going on. You do. <laughs> yeah. No, it's incredible how, how it's grown. Uh, let's take a little break, and uh, we'll come back and talk more about things things that have been happening over the past couple of years and more recently. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Jonathan Rubenstein, the founder and president of Joe Coffee, and his sister, Gabrielle Rubenstein-Chong, the vice president and director of catering and customer relations of Joe Coffee, which is like <laughs> amazing title, but it's super long is what I've realized. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let's talk a little bit about your roles and what's it, what is it like to be in a family business or working together as brother or sister? Because I know there's mm-hmm. been changes. Mm. You know, really, until pretty recently, both of us just did everything. You know, at the very beginning, we were HR, and we were managers, and we were publicists, and we were mm-hmm. toilet cleaners. I mean, everything you would expect at a sort of startup sort of business. And over the years, it evolved, and we started having a couple departments, HR and a, a, a regional manager. But still, Gab and I, and we still do, sort of have our fingers in everything because we we feel like we know it well and we care and we know what our vision is. Uh, about a year ago, um, we had this investment. Um, I don't mean to jump the gun. Jump the gun. I want to talk jump about the gun. it. Well, probably the single most important thing, uh, an exciting thing that has happened to us uh, has been that uh, Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group, and more specifically their investment wing called Enlightened Hospitality Investments, invested in our company a year ago. Um to help us strategically and also financially. Um, and, you know, that has been amazing. It opened a million doors and given us access to the kinds of things we never thought we would have. In fact, Gab and I sat with their pastry chefs and department this morning mm-hmm. for three hours dreaming up our next uh, um, uh, food menu because we work with them now. And uh, the kinds of things that we can do now we never could. And once this investment happened, it made us start to look at being a little bit more organized. I don't like the word corporate, so I don't really use it, but a little bit more of a real organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they helped us structure. And most recently, just about four months ago, um, together we decided to hire a CEO. um, And his name is Doug Satzman. And he most recently was CEO of Le Pan Cotidien. So a, a much bigger player than we certainly have been, but it's given us 
much more specific roles in how we look at what we're doing in the future and how we can mm -hmm. maximize our own talents and also continue to rely on the amazing team of people that we have with us, most of whom grew up from being baristas, almost every person who works in our office, and now there are probably 14 people who sit at desks with us, started in the stores. And, um, you know, for Gab and I now, uh, we have we have more specific mm -hmm. roles, and that was sort of part of this organization. You know, I still say I probably do a little bit of everything. I'm really involved mm -hmm. in the culture and the experience of the customers and sort of the, the retail um, and the roasting and the training sort of sits under me because that's what I get most excited about. And Gab now has I other... Do catering and customer service, but also I'm in charge of the food. And um, I'm still in charge of the hospitality, which I teach. Mm. And for now, also food safety. So a few things. But a little sexier right? than food safety is you talk about catering, <laughs> but another sort of yeah. major department for us that has exploded mm -hmm. has been this this catering of mm -hmm. bar mitzvahs and weddings and parties yeah. and corporate events and TV yeah. shoots. And it, I mean, you have how many about events? About 300 a year. Yeah. So it's pretty full-time, so That's a big too. department itself that yeah. she started and has yeah. grown in the last five like, years. Yeah. I mean, I think we started it like eight or nine years ago. But now it's, yeah, it's grown a lot. So. With yeah, its own. it's incredible. Cool. Another it's incredible. one of those very funny, like, it started because someone called and just sort of said, like, could you bring two pots of coffee to my meeting? Mm -hmm. And we're like, I guess so. We could make $40. Yeah. And now it's... We just kind of learned as we went. So now we lead the industry. Thousands of dollars of revenue. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. It's sort of it's like fun. everything else. Yeah. You just never know. We're kind of making it up as we go along, and it's worked out It's for the most worked part out. Well. And I remember it was a year ago reading about the USHG and Danny Meyer and the investment and all that. And I was like, it just, my, my reaction was what a perfect mm -hmm. uh, combination or a collaboration yeah. because yeah. I'm such a huge fan of Danny and USHG and, and such a huge fan of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And it just seemed like, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. We, we, we wholeheartedly agree. You know, we were yeah. approached so many times. Right. Uh, we have been and. Uh, we've taken a lot of meetings, uh, especially when, again, like a, a lot of the Blue Bottles and Intellis and Stumptowns were being invested in or bought. A lot of them just, they really didn't feel right. You'd sit in a room and the conversations were about, how can we save money? Why are we? Why do we have to steam every drink to order? Why are you spending them so yeah. much on green? Why, you know, the sort right. of things that Gab and I would just look at each other, we're making faces now that you can't see on the radio. <laughs> yeah. and it just felt really lousy. And mm -hmm. we would have as felt would really imagine, bad about that. Yeah, we would have been wealthy, but we would have. Embarrassed, yeah. Um, but when, <laughs> as you would imagine, you go into a meeting with, it's not just Danny, but the way that, you know, Danny's sort of aura is with his, uh, a lot of his um, key players. Mm -hmm. We walked out of that room and you're jumping up and down because they get it and they want mm -hmm. the same thing. And it's all about integrity of what you do mm -hmm. and cultural fit. And, you know, we have taught, quote unquote, enlightened hospitality for so many years. We took our entire program from reading, setting the table and taking notes and then teaching it. Mm -hmm. And so, and, you know, mm -hmm. we had, you know, as many other people, like the first time I met Danny, it was like meeting a rock star. And so mm -hmm. yeah. even the idea that, he believes in us enough and wants to work with us. And he was very personally involved in the investment, um, felt amazing. And it was just really, there couldn't be a year later, a more perfect partnership, I think, than uh, between us. And uh, it's it's been amazing in, in every way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not surprised. And I'm so glad. And I also saw that you, well, I know this, a friend of mine took one of your classes. You teach classes. Uh, uh, a, a variety. We do. We it's another happy. Mm -hmm. It was another one of like, why don't you try teaching a yeah. class on a Tuesday night and yeah. teach me how to make coffee? Okay, that sounds fun. And now that is right. 250 mm -hmm. to 300 classes a year yeah. to the public. Yeah. We just that, wanted to be also transparent and let people have yeah. the knowledge. It's not, you know, we're not snobs about coffee. Right. We want everyone to have the knowledge and here we're not going to keep it a secret. Yeah. So, and people are yeah. so interested in it as a food yeah. stuff now that we virtually fill up every class and mm -hmm. taking care of our people, which is a very Danny Meyer thing, but we were saying it before, is such a big thing for us. And there it affords an opportunity for your baristas who you try to help them make a livable wage, but it's hard in the service industry to make a lot more money by teaching classes like that. And mm -hmm. it's been a really, it's been a great part of sort of what we do. And that of course leads to wholesale relationships and brand loyalty and wanting to buy beans. I mean, it all sort of works together, but- right. It's another yeah. one of those things that we were an early adapter that just sort of 
skyrocketed mm-hmm. into what it is today, and it's a whole department with its own staff, and it's neat. A lot going on. And, True. you know, I want to back up to a question I had, like, I should have asked at the beginning, but the name, Joe Coffee. How'd you come up with that? Well, is it just grab a cup of Joe? <laughs> it is. I mean, it is based on okay. like the old phrase "cup of Joe," uh, and it was one of the, I think, the best ideas we had, and also one of the worst. It's hard mm-hmm. to trademark and service mark Joe, and there are other Joes, and mm. you can buy Joe Coffee and TJ Maxx, and it's not ours. But uh, in my office, <laughs> mental note. <laughs> I know. Uh, in my office, I have ripped out of the front of a book called "How to Open a Coffee Bar" that we read in two thousand three. Mm. And it had all the names that we were looking at, and we were almost called Latte Land and Latte Land. Latte Land. And we always same thing as Third Avenue. Like, would we be <laughs> what we were if we had chosen Latte, Latte Land? Land? Um, yeah. And and uh, Second Cup. And yeah. there were some crazy, like, yeah. fun names. And Joe just sort of rolled mm-hmm. off the tongue. You know, it, it, it's been a tricky name, but a catchy one. And there's nothing again. Fifteen years later, there's nothing mm-hmm. we can do but sort of embrace the mm-hmm. the quirkiness and the the trickiness yeah. of the name as I well. Mean, kind of an interesting thing in the industry is nobody names their coffee bars after anything to do with coffee anymore. You know, it's Gorilla and yeah, it's Stumptown and it's Blue Bottle and it's you know what I mean. It's not, right. but we didn't know at the time. We it had to be about coffee, oh, and yeah. then we had like a sub. Well, that was our big we're... mistake, right? We yeah. called ourselves Joe. We it were so afraid that people wouldn't know what that meant on the sign right. that we we had the subline, the art of coffee, which is. <laughs> Horrific. We despise it. We stopped using it at least ten years ago. And everything's every, the art of everything. Yeah, it's pretentious yeah. and awful, and it makes yeah. no sense. And woulda, coulda, shoulda. There's nothing That's we can right. do. do well, lot, that well. one haunts us. And it's so, just the worst. And do a lot of people call you Joe? They do. Yeah. There are customers who I, I have you made get coffee that for that think, think my name your is name's Joe, Joe. Rubenstein. Yeah, and at yeah. this point, I just say hello back. And it's too late to correct yeah. after fifteen years. I think um, one last thing about, I mean, the positive thing about the name Joe is just that it's kind of means like cup of coffee for anyone. Yeah. And we are, you know, the place that's known for being a for everybody. Accessible. So in, in that way, we're accessible. And so yeah. the name is accessible and it kind of gives you that feeling. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's one good thing about it. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. I think it's great. great. I have nothing. We're going to keep it then. Okay, yeah. good, good. Let me ask you the question I had from my last guest. So on, on oh. episode 167, I had on Richard Blaze. He's from Bravo's Top Chef All-Stars. He was wow. the winner. He's also the owner of Trailblaze and a chef partner at Juniper and Ivy Restaurant and Crack Shack. So he wants to know, with multiple locations, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to growth? And at what point do you say you're going to go from one or two shops to a dozen locations? I mean, it's a great question. Um, First of all, going from one and two to many more was very organic for us. Now it's a little bit more strategic, but originally it was organic. Hey, here's a neighborhood that doesn't have good coffee and we have a lot of fans there and let's try it. And that probably got us to numbers Mm -hmm. 12, 13, 14. it, what was your second location? It was on East 13th Street between 5th and University. Okay. And that happened mm-hmm. a year and a half after we opened Waverly. We knew yeah. we knew within a few months that we wanted to do more than one. And we also knew all the advantages by scaling up. Um, but challenge-wise, you know, it, it hasn't been... There have certainly been challenges, particularly difficult. I think one of them, the scary part is, can you maintain quality? You know, we used to think, well, if we have more than three shops and mm-hmm. 20 people making coffee, how are our standards going to stay the same? And that has been easier than we thought. We, I'm, I am positive that our quality now is higher than it's ever been. And we have 250 people making coffee. But we have mm-hmm. a lot of systems in place and really strong talent who train people in quality control and better beans. Mm-hmm. Part of it also is just letting go of what things once were, i.e., for many years, if I didn't get to every store every day, I failed. If I didn't see it and touch the customers and taste the coffee, I had a Vespa and I would scoot from one to the other and that would be most of my day. And at some point you say, we're in two cities, which but we're 19 locations, you can't. And now mm-hmm. it's sort of, I have to trust, we have to trust the people we have running the yeah. stores and we have to do our best to be part of things and know our staff and show our faces. But at some point, it's unrealistic to try to control everything. You have to mm-hmm. let people who are probably better than you are in a lot of yeah. ways um, have some control and input and let them do their thing and sort of teach them how to do their thing and then trust them to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I su- suppose when we grow, which we hope to, 
Will I get to every store every week? Will Gab? Probably not. But we, it is imperative to us that the experience be at least as good as when we were smaller, if not better. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, it is. Well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good. You answered that very well. So. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. Stay with us. This is on the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Jonathan Rubenstein and Gabrielle Rubenstein-Chong of Joe Coffee. <laughs> it's time for my speed round game. Are you ready? Sure, maybe. <laughs> what this is is I name a few things, such as chocolate or vanilla, and you pick your preference. Okay. That's oh. how it goes. It's an either-or situation. Oh, that's funny. I play this exact game with my nine-year-old. She loves it. Oh, we'll see if maybe... Yeah. We have the same either ors, or okay. I can add to All your right, game. Sally, Izzy, get ready. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, eat in or eat out. Eat in. Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail. Wine. 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 More wine. Going to see how <laughs> we well won't you always guys have the along. same answer. No. <laughs> okay. Tasting menu or a la carte. Who's paying? Tasting menu? <laughs> the brother's bank. Uh, <laughs> right. Mm. Um, tasting menu. I like to see a chef's sort of through line. Okay. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Large plates. Ooh. <laughs> Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Definitely chef's counter. Okay, I'm with you on that one. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? tricky question for us right now Uh, this is a standard one i did not mean to make it tricky but it is a little tricky um (laughs) boy i uh i i uh i'll i'll say all inclusive i like what it stands for when Mm -hmm. it works it makes me happy to think about the people that are not just at my table but working so hard behind the scenes i agree yeah yeah i'll i'll just Take a say a little something about this. I had Danny on my hundredth episode. Oh yes, and wow. which amazing. was amazing. And I looked back at the time to see from the the top hundred of this answer of this question, and there was a shift that happened. It was like the first fifty episodes, everyone was saying tipping, mm-hmm. and then it became a little more into the all inclusive. It was, and I, mm-hmm. I have to go back now and look again because I don't, mm-hmm. you know. But it's interesting to see. I just I knew that off. Off the start, it was always tipping, because um, hmm. usually on the on the yeah, and Danny Danny was happy to hear that. So. Yeah, huh? <laughs> so um, yeah, it was amazing cool. having him on. Okay, a few more: drip coffee or French press? Oh, drip coffee. Oh yeah, I don't like we'll, French. Yeah, press. we'll say we're not. No. That's not a preparation, and I would oh. put in my top ten these days. Okay, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> about, sorry, French ha- press fans. Not yeah. How about americano or latte? know what you prefer mm. to drink i would say a latte to an americano yeah i actually had an americano to today which is unusual it was very seattle circa mm. 2003 but mm-hmm. i don't drink a lot of dairy but mm-hmm. i drink a lot of i taste a lot of lattes for quality control to see how baristas are doing uh I, I don't know i like them both i'm gonna go back to drip coffee okay <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah. two more cheese plate or dessert cheese plate dessert mm. <laughs> 
Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia? Brooklyn. 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 And boy, we've had a great time. We opened our first Brooklyn store in October, and it's so much fun. Where, where it feels are so you? Good. We're in Brooklyn Heights, mm-hmm. which is our neighborhood um, on Hick Street awesome. near Dumbo, but it's been such a terrific feeling. And to be able to do a store where you actually have space that you can afford to be in, it, the difference, this store is about twice the size of most of our stores because it's Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. it feels amazing to have flow the way you want it and seating, and mm-hmm. it's been it's been a great experience thus far. Yeah, and you know, kind of know a third of the people in there from the neighborhood, so yeah. it's really fun. That's fun. It actually yeah. feels like Waverly again, a little yeah. bit to us. Oh, cool! I'll yeah. Have to get out there, please. Yeah, so that's the game. Fun, that was fun. interesting. I like it's it. Very cool. How did we score? Um, I, us. I don't know exactly, I'm just um, kidding. but There's I will. I will. I will us. find out what the score is later. Okay. Nice. <laughs> um, how about? some industry news so the new york times is the article i picked Mm -hmm. out the review today from pete wells so Mm -hmm. he reviewed l'atelier de joel rubichon the titles a new link in the world's most expensive restaurant chain two stars he gave it Mm. uh this pete wells and uh Mm-hmm. I haven't been to this new new one yet. I went to the L'Atelier when it was back at the, the Four Seasons mm. Hotel, and uh, it was phenomenal. I'm due to go. Uh, it was it was an interesting read. Did you? Yeah. What did you guys think? Um, I mean, it was just interesting that it's is it the world's it's the biggest. He was chain, calling it, but each one is yeah. like a very 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 high end restaurant. That's fa- kind of fascinating that. They can do that. Yeah. You definitely go into something like that with those price points with different expectations and a much more critical eye. Uh, If everything isn't mind-blowing and perfect, it's Mm -hmm. sort of set up a little bit, I think, for a little bit of failure. Um, But I don't know. I'm not, you know, the food thing sounded amazing. Mm -hmm. And to be totally honest, I still have a hard time knowing how cost of goods sold works, even if the ingredients are... You know, grown by the chef in his house, and mm. you know, sung to every night, to justify a thirty-five dollar yeah. uh, beet salad that is probably composed of a, uh, half of a beet. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I had I had mixed feelings, and I would be very curious how people generally responded to the review. Um, it still mm-hmm. sounds like it, it would a taste funny review. amazing. So it, was it was a lot about cost. A lot yeah, about- it was. I mean, I mean. I mean, this atelier is saying almost 15 years old, and it became, I mean, besides having the, I mean, knowing, known for the precise standards of the food that he does in Joe mm-hmm. Rubichon. I mean, it's Joe Rubichon. Right. And also, I was thinking in reading this how he became, he put these, he put the U-shaped counter mm-hmm. in, which as a solo diner right. is really, really ideal, and mm-hmm. it's like, it's like a sexy yeah. setting with this incredible mm-hmm. food. But I started thinking myself about it, like I was in, I was in London last year and I walked by L'Atelier and I had this moment I was like, oh, I should go. And I actually walked in and they they were they were full. I would have to have gone mm. back a few hours later. But in my mind, I said, well, I'm in London. I should maybe go somewhere like I've never been to. And, mm-hmm. But that's me. Like, I feel people like there's something. I mean, he said chain restaurants is I don't know. No, that wasn't a kind of phrase. It's not, but it's more like group of consistency and Mm -hmm. knowing what you're going to get and familiarity. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the the people who go to the ateliers around the world, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be fantastic, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be expensive. I mean, that's, that was another thing why I hesitated to go to, because it's, it's not a cheap meal, but but it's a special meal. For sure. Yeah. But so. I haven't. I have someday. Maybe I haven't eaten if there. Else so is right. Yeah. If you're listening <laughs> this, and you want to send us that. to right. Um, yeah. No, I'm supposed to go with a friend to celebrate our birthdays as like a special, you know, yeah. more of a special occasion thing. And I'm curious to try it. For but, sure. Um, yeah. No, it was an interesting review. But I always think Pete Wells' mm-hmm. reviews are, you know, he's a great mm-hmm. writer and puts his uh, yeah. cool spin on it. So. Yeah. I mean, he only had positive things to say, but he was also taking a little bit of jabs about the. You know the cost of eating well. You know, well. And the expectation, I think, yeah. of what he remembered dishes being mm-hmm. like when he had first tried them, and they had blown his mind. Yeah. And uh, you can never go home again, yeah, though. Exactly. I find that usually also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
I will see what I mm-hmm. think in a couple of weeks when I go. But um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to CCAP. I um, I went to their event last night. They have their annual gala, and they honored Chef Jose Andres, uh, who's incredible and I think deserves much mm. recognition. Um, and it was at the uh, Chelsea Piers Pier sixty, and it was a wonderful event. Uh, there were chefs there uh, from. The Modern, Asiate, Loy, Batard, mm-hmm. wonderful cooks and chefs. And Jose was there. And it was just mm-hmm. a really, really nice event. And this is CCAF stands for Careers Through Culinary Arts Program. And uh, it raises, um, it, it raises, it's a nonprofit that, that raises funds um, and provides underserved high school students with education and career opportunities through the culinary arts. So it's a really nice That's organization. Great. And they do good work. And so... That's where I was last night awesome. when I just just got back in town and headed so to a party. I always bump into you at events. <laughs> well, there's no, yeah. I I mean, I love going, but there's so many. It's like mm-hmm. every night of the week now in New York is there's there's something going on. So. True. Uh, so thank you, Joyce Appleman. She handles right. their PR. And uh, we're gonna take one more break. Come back, do my solidarity experience, and we'll have the final question. This is all in the industry and Heritage Radio Network. From your childish chest and I bow my head to you Cause kicking myself with the uh, waste of fruits is you won't allow back in I know it will get easier all the time Take off the Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Dom. Here's the rundown. The location... Rua Barrio de Capanema, Hardens, Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's basically where it is. I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The concept, contemporary Brazilian with um, Amazonian ingredients. The chef, Alex Atala, with Giovanni Carnero. So why did I go? Because Dom is ranked as one of the best restaurants in the world. My experience. I arrived from my reservation. I was seated on the banquette at a two-top on the side of the center of the room. I had a nice shot of the kitchen. You could see through it through a glass partition. Uh, The tasting menu began, and mid-meal, I saw Chef Atala pass through the dining room into the kitchen, and you could feel his energy, and I was excited that he was there. Service was very attentive and pleasant. So what did I get? I went with the Optimist tasting menu, a travel through Brazilian flavors. It included cold and hot starters, fishes and seafood, meat, aligot, which is a dish made from cheese blended into mashed potatoes, and dessert. My take, everything was delicious and the right size menu portions. I'd say one of my favorite courses was the Cordona com Chocolate du Combo, and that is quail. I also thought the aligot was really rich and decadent. The ambiance. It's a modern yet simplistic and relaxed dining room with beige tones and high ceilings and it's very spacious seating. I'd say it's perfect for a sophisticated Sao Paulo date night. Interesting tidbit. Dom is currently ranked number 16 on the world's best 50 best restaurants list. And in its write-up on their website, it says Chef Atala is a former punk and DJ who mm. ripped 
who ripped up the rule book in true rock and roll style when he opened Dom in 1999, fusing fine dining with wild and wonderful ingredients from the Amazon. Personal fun fact, I asked to meet the chef and I was welcomed into the kitchen where I had a nice photo op with him. I posted my photo, it's done very well, so I would say Chef Atala is certainly a rock star in our industry. Lots of people like my photo. The cost was $176. That's converted into U.S. and including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, if someone else is paying. (laughs) (laughs) And the website is domrestaurant.com.br. So there's that. You guys been to Brazil? No. We buy coffee, but no, we have not. Ah, coffee from Brazil. You travel with coffee, though. I've learned. Oh, my God. Half of our suitcase. Absolutely. I always have a, a hand grinder, a scale, a V60 filters, and you know fresh beans. But that is potentially about to change as we look to innovate a product True. that I cannot yet speak about, but Ooh. come back to us in about three weeks. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And you just travel. I mean, I'm a, I don't know. I don't travel with coffee, but... Um, you have John yeah. tell you the story about when he went on the Disney cruise and they confiscated his oh, electric kettle. You probably don't have time, but they confiscated my kettle. And I would die. And the cruise that would otherwise have been amazing was a total nightmare because I had no access to drinkable coffee I literally for couldn't days. go on that cruise without yeah. my electric kettle. So, wow. yes, that is a big part of what we pack when we travel. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, I mean, I yeah. guess I should, as you should, or, or as yeah. I would expect yeah. from it's coffee. better than coffee. finding, in, yeah. yeah. I used to pack my Mr. Coffee, so this is a lot smaller. Right. Yeah. I bring back coffee sometimes when I find, like, interesting stuff, but, yeah. yeah. And we love yeah. when we hit a city to explore what their sort of best of coffee bars are, but you never quite know, and... You go to a lot of places where you can't, Orlando being one of them. Plus, I can't leave my room in the morning before having a cup of black coffee. I literally won't leave. No, you're in the right business. I get this. Yes, for sure. (laughs) But that's also what's so great is that like 15 years later, we're obsessed with the product Mm -hmm. that we're making. We're not the opposite of tired of it. No. no. Yeah, you're in a good industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're fabulous at it. Thank you. Oh, thanks. So my for the final part of the show, I ask the final question. So next week, my guest is David Rabin. He is a partner of the Lambs Club, uh, Cafe Clover, the Skylar, and Jimmy at, at the James. He is the former president of the New York Nightlife Association, the founder and president of the Meatpacking District Initiative. I met mm. David back when I started doing PR in 2001 wow. of Lotus. I don't know. Do you guys remember Lotus sure. and Meatpacking District? I'd never get in, never. but sure. He was, he was one of the four partners there. And oh, wow. so I'm, I know him from then, and he's, he's like nightlife huh. guru, amazing. Wow. So what would you like to ask him? Well, <laughs> his business, your business, as if I'm talking to him directly right now, is sort of the polar opposite of ours. We are six o'clock in the morning and things slow down by four in the afternoon and everyone's out by seven at night. But this is a business that seems to transition from probably afternoon into evening to very, very late night to when we're setting up our stores in the morning. What are the added complexities with a business that has a daily life cycle that's so long and has so many different phases as compared to a luncheonette or a coffee shop? It's a great question. Thanks. It really is. I'm going to find out. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Well, a lot of, yeah. I, I don't know. From working, I know, with Sullivan Street Bakery and then talking about, like, the baking hours mm-hmm. of what time these guys, I mean, they do the night shift. Sure. So, yeah, different hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Different. Time tough. to make the donuts. Oh, God. <laughs> I haven't been out past, like, 8 p.m. in, you know, 10 years. So oh, I wow. can't imagine. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to go dancing, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, thank you guys so much for oh, coming on my show. So much thank fun. You. Thank fun. you. It was great to see you. Yeah, no, it's, I, I'm just so impressed with, with everything you do. I love, I love, I, I know at the beginning I called it coffee shop. I got it now. Coffee bars. We, we got it down. Sure. We're going, we're transitioning to coffee company, but. Coffee company. To be determined. Whatever it is, the Joe, the whole Joe yeah. brand that you have is fabulous. Thank and you. I wish Thank you much you. continued success. Thank you so much. And it's impressive that as a family working together too, I think it works, you know. It works. It does. Yes. Yeah. Very yeah. well. Thanks. We really appreciate You're you welcome. having us. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for the coffee. <laughs> so my guests today have been Jonathan Rubenstein, founder and president of Joe Coffee, his sister Gabrielle Ru- Rubenstein-Chong, the vice president and director of catering customer relations 
of Joe Coffee. You can find them. Their website's joenewyork.com. That, that's right, right? The mm-hmm. main website. Also on Instagram, at Joe Coffee Company, at JC Rubenstein, and at Gabby Rubenstein. And their Twitter's Joe Coffee NYC. You can find me. My social media handles are the same on both Instagram and Twitter at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is on the industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher and also now on Spotify, I just found out, which is awesome. So um, I'll be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. Thanks again to Jonathan and Gabby. And thanks to my engineer today, David Tadashore. I'm Sherry Bayer, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. On the top of the hill you see heaven. On the top of the hill you see